This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined as always by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over the end of the season, the 21-22 Manchester United season. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're watching live through YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your your questions and comments in. We do uh, read them out and, and interact with you. And if you're watching the replay, Please say hello. Um, feel free to comment. We do reply. Um, good morning, Paul. How are you doing? Um, good, have yeah, a good, weekend. good morning to you, Wayne. I'm fine, thank you. Weekend was just really was football, to be perfect. I weren't watching at home. I was at Wembley, as I was yesterday. Yeah, how was that? Um, Nottingham Forest making their own mark in history. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's great to have a club like you know Forest back in the top division. But they've got a lot of work to do, a lot of work, but I saw... You know, they're going to have to go out there and invest a little bit just to improve it because it wasn't their best performance I saw, really. No, it wasn't the forest of um, the cup run that we've seen this season. And they did ride the luck a little bit, obviously, first of all, with the own goal, but secondly, with a, a couple of um, decisions that went in their favour. But like you said, um, Forest are one of the great clubs of British football, aren't they? So it is really good to see them back in the top flight, especially for Nottingham, that area as well. It's been a long time. Yeah, I mean, that, for that side of the country, I mean, there's there's a derby game for them straight away when they play Leicester City. And I just think they're just, I don't know, maybe people of my era will always remember them. And when you talk about Nottingham Forest, you're, you can only think about Brian Clough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if anyone likes those silly omens, I think Forest won at Old Trafford in 1994. So um, anyone likes doing those long countdowns where it's like X years since someone won at Old Trafford, they're probably going to uh, break that um, break that record next season. Good to have um, a newly promoted team to beat us. Um, <laughs> I'm being too pessimistic already. Um, okay, so before we begin, I do want to um, refer to the sad news that we've seen this morning. Um, Andy Gorham, 
the um, legendary Rangers goalkeeper who people may remember having a short spell alone at Manchester United in 2001, just as we uh, were closing out the title winning uh, season there. He's been suffering cancer from some time uh, for for a while, and he revealed that. Um, well, he's in the news this morning that he revealed that he's got just six months to live, and it's a particularly aggressive form of cancer. It's one that I'm familiar with um, through a relative, and it's just absolutely tragic um, news. I mean, obviously, as we reflect and pass our condolences, and you know, our thoughts and best wishes go to Andy. I want to give a little second to remember how good he was as a player, Paul, because um, it's not it's not sentimental to be saying that he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world in the early 90s. Is it? He was, when he was at his best, he would be a brick wall in, in goal, wouldn't he? he was, his reflexes were incredible. Yeah, I mean, he was very good. I mean, I still remember him from when he was at Oldham at that time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was a he was a good goalkeeper, but goalkeepers weren't getting that that as much that much acknowledgement back in the day. It wasn't mm. about so much about goalkeepers there to do a job, and they had to do that, and that was not concede. And he was a very very or is a you know a very good very good shot stopper. Um, the goalkeepers well commanded his box with his voice as well. He had a big big presence when he was in that goal, and he wasn't the big you know you look at today's goalkeepers. You know, people would have doubts about it because of his stature. He yeah. wasn't the biggest to height-wise, but it didn't make a difference because if he shouted keepers, people know, even if you played with him, people would know he's going straight through you. Yeah. No, yeah. He was a definite presence. Um, one of 11, not just one to make up the numbers for sure. And, you know, if anyone's been affected by that news, because it is absolutely tragic, Um then yeah, um, my thoughts go out to you. Reach out to me if you want to talk about it because you know I've been through, well, obviously not personally, but um, the experience of it and it's, it is aggressive and it's devastating. It really is. Um, the other news of the weekend before we get on to United, Real Madrid defeating Liverpool in the European Cup final. What do you make of the game? And Klopp come out after Liverpool dominated the first forty minutes, and we're not here to talk really about Liverpool and Real Madrid, but it's the European Cup final. Liverpool dominated the first forty minutes. They, Put Courtois into a few saves. Um, I still can't get over why that Benzema goal was disallowed. Um, so when they did score in the second half, I felt it was justice. Obviously, Liverpool feel otherwise because if you see Klopp's reaction to it, he's behaving like you know they threw the Alamo at Real Madrid. I mean, that wasn't the game that I watched, and Liverpool on the the balance of the play probably deserved something more from it. But it wasn't really the battering he made it out to be. Um, Coulter, rightly the man of the match, but by the by the off time mark, Real Madrid had sort of settled into the game. Um, you know, show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. <laughs> that's that's the phrase. So Klopp, you can understand why he's coming out. He's a lot of sour grapes that he comes out and does this whenever it's whenever he's not won a game because it's always the way that the opposition manager sets up. But, um, I felt. They played decent, Madrid. Not it wasn't a great game by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I didn't have any. Obviously, I'm a United fan. Didn't have any complaints with that. Um, how, how did you see the game? Well, I think we have to say first and foremost that's um, maybe one of the poorest Madrid team, Real Madrid teams that's won the Champions League. We have to say that quite poor. Nothing really outstanding. Benzema, Benzema, when you ever want to call him, is the focal point. He's their most consistent player. 
because even yeah. a goal scorer is not a consistent play. He was just very, very fortunate that he was playing up against um, Alexander-Arnold, you know, yeah. a player who just doesn't doesn't consider playing right back. Is a, is, is a position where you have to defend. It's about, can I go and score a goal, make a goal? That's where he's living his life and they made it easy for him and he, and he cost Liverpool an FA Cup. Sorry, FA Cup, a Champions League. And I think we have to look at Van Dijk as well in that situation. He didn't really do himself justice as well. Mm. But when you look at the game, it was Liverpool. They did have a lot of possession, but there wasn't a lot going on in maybe the first 10 minutes. And then Coutoire makes one save and he makes two and three. But when I look at the second half, I can say, yes, Liverpool did have quite a bit of it. But Madrid hung in there. They, they did the best they could they, up against what is deemed the better opposition. But the goal, the goal I, I never understood. I'm there. I'm trying to explain it. And all of a sudden it comes out again. And I think to myself, I don't know that. Maybe the game's changed that much. I don't know it. Hmm. But it just didn't make any sense to me about one. He had to have two players. If the goalkeeper goes forward, two players have got to stand behind, got to be behind him and, and then when BT have got a resident expert, I don't know who's, I don't know. He just go, he goes wherever way that suits the referees' union. It was embarrassing what he come out and said because he didn't give anyone an idea what was going on with that. If that goal just stood, if the referee had gone goal, not one Liverpool player or mate or even Klopp would complain because they wouldn't have known what was going on there. Just seen that Fabino had given it, knocked it back. And there we are, he's made a mistake. He puts his hands up to it. Oh, God, I deflected it into him. Then, you know, he would have accepted it. But when you find out the ruling is that if a player intent, if he had intentionally given it to him, he would, they would have given the goal. But then he would have been maybe not allowed back in Liverpool again if he had intentionally given the ball to Benzema. It's just... Yeah, well, all's well that ended well. And you know, I don't know how to take that one from you there, Wayne. Yeah, well, with the with the Premier League as well, you know, obviously mm. Liverpool failing to win, and you know there was a relief. I posted a couple of tweets that went viral. They all came at me, Liverpool fans. They, they didn't take. Let's just say that the famous scout sense of humour was missing from some of their replies, and that that's fine. You know what? It's very difficult in the moment to take. I mean, I remember how I felt after we lost five nil against Liverpool. It was not a good place to be, and and when we lost four nil against them as well. So yeah, um, but you have to say credit where it's due. Liverpool they did have a great season, and I do feel some sympathy in that. You know, these artificial rich clubs are redefining what it is to be successful and um, I think the league and European football is so weak at the moment that that's kind of why you saw a Champions League final like you did um, but it is what it is and we move on um, okay so we didn't we haven't talked about United's end of the season game and I know that you've been fishing Paul but you will have caught some of um, what happened against Palace um, a typical drab display and really more about the less about the game and more about the the goal because Fernandez um, brought the goal about with this error that it's a sort of careless pass that we've seen before, right? Um, United got the Europa League spot thanks to West Ham losing, which is sort of a summary of United season the underwhelming way you would expect us to get there. But even in the last few games, you know, when we knew that it was going away from us, the season was running away and. Players were having to stand up and be accountable for themselves. 
and you get the feeling that there hasn't really been that. I mean, De Gea aside, De Gea's come out and he said certain things, so obviously he's got his own high standards, but you would have thought someone like Fernandez, who we know he's definitely going to be there for the next two or three years, that he would be trying to sort out his own game, and then you see him being as careless as he was at Palace, and it just ties into this overriding feeling of, oh, well, it's the end of the season. It doesn't really matter. Just get it out of the way. Is that Am I being too harsh on him? I know we've been critical of Fernandes this season, but for the goal to be conceded in the way that it was and for him to give it away the way that it was, you want, you know what I mean? And we've been, everyone's been critical of Fernandes the last dozen games or so. You would think that he'd be looking at that personally. You know, you'd be taking it on personally thinking, do you know what? I need to, I need to step up and improve, but... His carelessness was um, symptomatic of United's overall carelessness at Palace. His carelessness has been around for a long, long time. It's just that people didn't want to see it because people are still seeing a player who turned up at um, Old Trafford during the lockdown period and was their saviour. And people are still seeing that, but they're not seeing that a player and trying to work out why a player like Fernandes has been in Portugal for so long. He's gone to Sampdoria, he's come back, he went somewhere else, he'd come back. And there's a reason behind it, it's because he's very, very ill-disciplined. He's temperamental, he's got no control, he's, he's got no patience in his game. If he doesn't work his way, he shows his emotions far, far too much. Far, far too much. And, he, and it comes out in his game and he, and he looks bad. He's remonstrating with his own players. His, his actions, his body language, when things don't go his way, is poor towards his teammates. So the new manager coming in, he's got to change his ways. It's as simple as that. I don't know the temperament of this manager. I don't know any enough about him. A lot of people out there are faking that they know it about him, but they don't really. But it's easy just to come out and say it. But despite you think I think about Dutch football, I think about Ajax, and it's about discipline in the way. They take it seriously in what they're trying to do. Fernandez doesn't take football serious enough. He plays off the cuff. He, he, he tries to improvise. And when you talk about improvisation and Manchester United, there's only one player, still one player that people talk about, and that's Eric. Um, he hasn't got that. What he's tried to do there is play blind. He's just, he's just believing that someone's going to be there. He doesn't connect right, and bang, it's a goal. You can talk about the defending after as much as you want. But they wouldn't be in that position and they would have been more prepared for it. The one thing I was never expecting was their own teammate to put him in the mire like that. So yeah. he's, he is a bit of a liability. If you really want to go forward as a team, you have to look at him as a liability. Because if he isn't scoring goals or making goals, there's a serious problem, as you've seen already with Manchester United. He has disappeared, absolutely disappeared in the last few weeks, months. Not the same player who come across playing in the empty stadiums. No, no, you're right. And um, the hope is obviously that in a team that can keep the ball better, as you would hope that United will be going forward, that you can afford to accommodate a player like that. Um, and that he's, you know, if you've got players with better movement and stuff like that, or you've got more problems in on the pitch for the opposition, that Fernandez being as unpredictable as he is becomes more of a bonus than it is a liability. But as you said... When, when you've got a team that's struggling and you've got a player taking chances like that, then obviously, um, yeah, it can be a bit of a problem. We've got a, couple, a load of comments coming in. So Ben says, um, the thing, we'll get on to Ralph Ragnick in a moment, but the point he's making is about Fernandez. He says, the things we've read about Ragnick since he's left are concerning. Sounds like 
The players had no idea what they were supposed to be doing, so we're just acting on instinct. I'm not trying to excuse Fernandez, but hopefully it's something that Ten Hag can coach into him, which is literally what you just said. Um, and Mike Pierre says, not disagreeing, Paul, but that pass he's done plenty of times. Is that something they genuinely work on as a pattern of play? And if players are not in the right place, it looks like that. You're no, shaking your head there. No, I don't. I personally don't think so. He's done that. It's not something you work on. It's something instinctive that certain players do. And he's tried something there, being too clever in a situation when the ball could have been kept on that side of the park. It was just as easy. He wasn't under enough pressure to try something like that. It was a wrong, wrong decision to make that. And he just, no, he got it completely wrong. And he let his teammates down. Yeah. And, um, cost us the game. Um, not that it, obviously we had a long time to come back into it but it was the moment that, that changed the pattern of the game. I'm just going to come to the other comments before we move on. Uh, Mike Pierre says isn't Europa League a better platform for the new manager? Of course we want to be in the Champions League but there's a genuine chance of winning that competition during this transitional period. Absolutely I think Paul mentioned it a couple of episodes ago. It's actually a good position for Tenog to be in to um, mix the team up and you know, treat that competition seriously as well. I just want to wrap up as well on the Liverpool stuff because we're getting a lot of that. And I know we're having a lot of fun with them losing, but it's not really what this is about. But I am going to come to the comments. Uh, Richard says, Liverpool beating three finals, failed to score in the 90 minutes in all three games. Mike, again, big matches are all big about margins. Alexander Arnold did what we've been criticising Juan Bissaka for doing all season, sucked into the middle. Yeah, likewise, and, and Van Dijk doing the same with what we've seen Maguire criticised for as well in the moment. Don't they teach fullbacks to open their bodies anymore? But yeah, Paul's one of Paul's grumbles over the season. Salah in four months has um, had a difficult time. Yeah, he certainly has. And I, I did want to just come to this. I'm not going to comment on it uh, really, but Michael Parker says about, um, he's talking about the fan trouble. Um, thoughts on um, the trouble with fans getting into the ground from what I've seen, this was a policing issue. I saw a French journalist citing the fan trouble at the Euro final at Wembley's justification, worrying for fans of English clubs in Europe going forward. Yeah, um, as the um, time goes on and more accounts come out of what actually happened, I think it's wise to wait until we've absorbed all of the information before making it. And it's just really not our place to comment because obviously as consumers of football and Paul is a legend of football, you, we see it differently from obviously the Liverpool fans who were there and experienced it as well. I, I know um, one of, I know someone who was there and they said that um, it was a lot of um, bad stuff from the police and, you know, United fans are used to that. I will, I will say though, just not nothing to do with what happened at the weekend, but I think since all of us had been caged up for so long and those Euros and I was doing events, I was going to events and I just saw so many, I had so many young people at events and all they wanted to do was sing songs about German bombers when goals were being scored, they wanted to throw bottles in the air. Our cultures change from being from, for those, for those lockdown period, our culture has changed. People now are not tolerant anymore. Yeah. In, in, in general, the whole thing, everyone wants things now. I want it now, now. Anything that happened a week ago, that's forgotten now because it's so the whole thing is, is just a, everything's rolling on and rolling on how people are behaving themselves in these moments. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, and also perhaps factor into that, these are these are the first time we've had these large scale events that have got big 
capacity since that and everyone's finding new ways to behave yeah um like i said the, the information's still coming out on it also um so yeah a couple more comments before i move on to the next part patrick morning gents thanks for the therapy mondays this season it's bigger big help i don't know how much of a help it's been for paul but he sat through it bless him a good sport um agree with paul on bruno being a liability if he's doing the numbers fine if not he's far too wasteful in addition to rashford fred mctominay wambasaka there's too many players not that composed on the ball which is a prerequisite for a Manchester United player. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Richard says, put your money on United winning the Europa League next season. Well, United finished sixth. That's the competition that we're in. It's uh, There's no point even going over the fact that it was a, a massive disappointment and underwhelming, underwhelming end to a season because we were dreadful the entire time. Apart from the... the first few weeks we were thinking oh this might be something and then the, the few weeks after that we was like oh Ronaldo's goals are compensating these bad performances and then it was like these bad performances are really bad um and United from hoping they're in a title challenge finished sixth um I'm just gonna quickly come to our awards of the season part um player of the season and goal of the season Paul slim pickings uh really um in the areas, I think we've we've both praised De Gea, Lindelof, Fred, and Ronaldo. Um, that's probably the four to pick from, right? And it's not a great selection. I mean, De Gea's been... He still made a couple of errors that you wouldn't have wanted him to make. Ronaldo for the goals, which have undoubtedly saved... United from being much lower than they could have been, he's still gone missing sometimes. He still looked like a 37-year-old sometimes, as much of a legend as he is. Fred, as improved as he's been, still doesn't look really composed on the ball. And, and Lindelof, I mean, what can you say about that? He's been the best of a bad bunch in defence, and it's not really his faint praise, really, when you say that he's been the best in that area. So from all that, um, who stands out for you as your player of the season? I think when you look at most things, you look at what wins your games of football and United have nicked games of football because of an individual. So you're going to have to say Ronaldo. It's not, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't want to say that, but I, I don't want to give it to David De Gea for the simple reason is, which is easy to do because of it's actually making a failure even worse if you say him. He let in 50-odd goals. But mm. to be honest, it could have been... 80-odd, yeah. if it wasn't for him. United, did they finish Did they finish zero in goal yeah, difference? Goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is an absolute disgrace. It's Manchester United. You know, this yeah. puts them down as, in premiership history, as the worst ever Manchester United team. Worst ever. Yeah. Worst ever season in the, in the Premier League. Just on the fact of having, what, zero plus one or minus one goal difference. It's been an absolute shambles. Um, so... I saw David De Gea. David De Gea said a few words talking about he sees and everyone's coming at him. Look how many goals he let in. And you go, yeah, well, yeah, you could say that. But I still look at the fact of how many goals could have, could Manchester United have conceded? Yeah. When you talk about a goalkeeper, you talk about a shot stopper. David De Gea is that. But everyone is caught up in this world of because he can't play out from the back. Yeah. You know, and I keep saying it. The most important thing for a goalkeeper is to stop the ball going in the net. Not how many times he can keep it up or half volley it out wide and get, you know, take it on his chest and, you know, roll it on his shoulder and then flick it the outside of his foot. You look at Alisson. 
Alisson, how many times does he get caught out? How close by trying to overplay? Yeah. Why do people want their goalkeepers to be as good as outfield players? There's a reason why goalkeepers are goalkeepers and a reason why they're not outfield players. So people yeah. have got to get it out of their head. Is Alisson as good a shot stopper as David Ahaya? No, he isn't. Mm. Is Edison? No, he isn't. The difference with them, though, is that they play in better teams than Manchester United. And we wouldn't be talking about David De Gea if he played for City or Liverpool. It's as simple as that, if you really want to look at something. But please talk about watch games of football, 90 minutes or just over, rather than keep using stats to define how good someone is. It just gets on my nerves. Yeah, Um, you're absolutely right. And the thing is, in a a better defence, does um, De Gea's range of abilities look better? Do you know what I mean? We've seen that he does in the past, and um, there's no um, questioning the fact that he was he was fantastic last season. And I'm always reminded of I was just looking up there the stats of um, Alex Stepney because he always talks about the number of goals he conceded when United went down, and it was 48. You know, and United are conceding more, and that that was largely considered to be a dreadful defensive team. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's. it's there's no doubt about it that, I mean, he's had to deal with a, a erratic defence in front of him. And there's also no doubt about it that he doesn't have some of those skills that we, we've mentioned, you know, that that's him as a goalkeeper and does the range of abilities that he does have compensate for what he doesn't. Obviously, has done in the past and he's been a top goalkeeper. He might not be the best goalkeeper in the league at the moment, but like you said, is an equal in terms of shot stopping. And if United sort out the defence, it's not helped as well the fact that these different managers have had different approaches in, in the way that they want to play the ball out from the back. You know, you can have some that push up to the halfway line and some like we were doing in the autumn, playing out from the back when it was didn't suit anyone in, in the back line. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Ronaldo, the player of the season for me. Um, we've got, a couple of comments agreeing with that. Ronaldo, nobody else really deserves it. Um, yeah, so um, goal of the season then, Paul. I, sent a f- I knew that you were going to struggle with this. I was struggling with it off the top of my head, so I sent you the list of them. And again, it's Ronaldo dominating that. I don't know if you've got any other thoughts with this. I know that we had a, a couple of good goals earlier in the season. Um, Lingard at I think Lingard at West Ham was a decent goal, but I'm, I'm loath to sort of give that to him at the moment. I think we had a couple of good goals against um, Leeds as well. The ones that stand out are, are mostly what Ronaldo scored. And I was just wondering, um, before I make my pick, I'll give you the first choice on this. Uh, what are you picking as your goal of the season? I'm going to have to say Ronaldo's header. Against Spurs? Yeah, I'm going to have yeah. to say the header. You can think about others, but you don't want. I don't want to give a lot to others because it might just lift them uh, the hole they're in already. But Ronaldo has been the forefront, and I say it again, I, I really wish I wasn't saying it was him, but he stands out. Has been, he has you know certain games as you said he has played like a thirty-seven-year-old. He has looked that, but when it's mattered, he's delivered. He's delivered. Yeah, and maybe that might have been one of the reasons why they didn't want to have a player of the year do. Manchester United right. because of the season's bad, which which is poor, really. That's like hiding and saying, oh, poor season, we're not going to do it. We only want to do it when there's been great times, which is quite weak. But for the, for the you know, for the, for the maybe thinking about the other players, how they're going to feel, it would be quite embarrassing for those players if Ronaldo was to get up 
and win two of you know two of the main things, the mm. goal one and the player of the season. It wouldn't go down well. It'd be it may be comical. It may come out in the wrong places. So, but you can't hide from it. Everyone has to admit it was a shocking, shocking season. Yeah. And to take something away and not have you know what they you know these big flamboyant player of the year dudes now and nice pictures in front of advertised holdings and whatever is you know all that ritz it's um, it's embarrassing how they become now so yeah. um for, for them not to do it and manchester united maybe were the first club to start doing all them if i remember yeah. rightly and yeah. eamon holmes maybe was the first to host that yeah yeah you know, i think and i think that was that was under sir alex during his time so for them just to miss out because i'm quite sure United are going to have a better season next season. I think we have to say that because it can't go any worse than what it has been. So they'll have one next season and everyone will go, well, you know, people then will mostly mention, but it wasn't all right to do one last season. If you start it, you've got to carry it on. Don't, yeah. just, stop it cause, don't just stop it because it doesn't suit you. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. Um, pick and choose your tradition, right? Yeah. Um, goal of the season, I, I tend to agree. Um but in having to pick a different one, because obviously I'm not going to pick the same one, but Ronaldo's header against Spurs is definitely up there for me. I think the um, free kick against Norwich I'll go with, because it was such a good strong, uh, it, and, it, and it was sim- symptomatic goal. I, I look at the keeper in that one, Wayne. I really do yeah. look at the keeper. And you think of how many free kicks Ronaldo's had, you know, I think if he's lucky, he's, he's hit the goal twice, yeah. and one of them was against Norwich. Yeah. You know, so and I think it, you look at his look at him again at, when he um, at Juve and at Real Madrid in his last few years, he just hasn't been anywhere near to what he was before. You know, yeah. everything. The only thing that has been consistent is how he is how he sets himself up. Yeah, the only thing that's been consistent. The rest of it has been quite poor. So that's why I didn't. That's why I didn't think about the free kick. To be perfectly yeah. honest. No, you're right. You're right. The goalkeeper. A few question marks. I think. I think it's less about the quality of the goal and more about the moment. The fact that it was his second hat trick for us, the fact uh, second hat trick this season, and the fact that we we were two 0 up and we'd thrown it away against Norwich of all teams, and then he was the one stepping up for it. It, it was it said a lot about. Um, I, think, I think that was one of the games with a protest as well. So, um, so we're twenty eight minutes in. Let's get onto what was the news breaking yesterday, and we've got some comments from Patrick. Um, so we'll talk about. Um, well, I'll mention the comments first and then I'll come on to talk to you about it. Ralph Ragnick left the club yesterday or he was announced that he'd left as a, he's not staying on for this consultancy role. Um, so I'm going to read Patrick's comments and then uh, I'll come to you, Paul. Uh, the latest development with Ragnick yesterday is a concern, not because we didn't retain him, but it highlights there was no plan when they employed him. His strengths have always been off the pitch unless they decided, decided to write the season off in November. That decision did not make sense because Ragnick turned down Chelsea a year before saying that he wasn't an interim coach. So what was the point in the whole experiment? And good grief. I mean, if that isn't the nail on the head, Paul, because we were having these conversations back and, you know, we had rant time with Wayne, which was the first five minutes of every episode, and where, particularly in the autumn, where I was quite despondent about the sacking of Ollie and not in the, the decision to sack him because a lot of people say, Oh, you're Ollie and blah, blah, blah. No, you want the best for the club. And it was clear after Liverpool that um, his time was up and it was time to make that decision. Now, the length of time it took them to make that decision, you would have thought, Oh, okay. They've got some kind of plan in place. And that plan turned out to be a man in his sixties who hadn't managed at a top club um, ever 
and his only experience of being at football clubs was really in terms of his, his reputation was in establishing these structures at, at more provincial clubs and we were hoping that that was what he was going to bring not only were we hoping that we were hoping that that was the kind of structure that the the club had in place and it turns out that none of that is the case and i wonder now because we had these conversations in the late season oh isn't it funny isn't it good what ragnick's saying and then the last couple of weeks of the season we were kind of like well maybe it's counterproductive what he's actually saying because he's throwing the players under the bus and it's not particularly a good thing to always be doing that when we've got goals to be achieving. Um, and now there's no long-term plan or thought to it because he's gone. There's no nothing there that says it was worth doing at all. There's nothing there that says it's not worth persevering with Ollie for the full season and letting him have control of what he should have had, like maybe getting a couple of them out of the door in January to say this is the control I've got over the dressing room, just in the same way that I'm not saying that Mourinho should have stayed on either, but just in the same way that Mourinho could have done if he'd have been given that responsibility and, and that power. Regardless of how you feel about both of those managers, the experiment of, of Rangnick has just been baffling from start to finish. There's no there's no rhyme or reason for why he's been in there, apart from the fact that he was supposed to lay some groundwork for Ten Hag, and the, the philosophies aren't that similar, that you can excuse that. And if you just going to take it on the coaching aspects, Paul, it's been an absolute disaster because he's had no impact, no positive impact on the team whatsoever, no organisational impact. All of this talk about pressing and him being a modern father of um, the Gagan press and all that, it was all nonsense because we weren't, we didn't do any of that. And yes, for six months, the players have taken all the responsibility and I've been the first to throw them on, to, to join him right now and say oh, they're not good enough. But what were we doing? I mean, what's the point of it all if, if, if he's not staying on? Do you, are you able to see this in a different way um, than I am? Because I'm looking at it and thinking, I do not understand anything from the last six months right now. No, I don't think I can. There isn't. I mean, I think you've said it all there, really. And I think you don't have to be an ex-play. You don't have to be a top journalist. You, you just be the, the ordinary man in the street. You would turn around and say it was totally totally disorganised. It was just a, a random shot in the dark. Everyone was sitting there waiting, having guesses who's going to be the manager who's going to come in for him to then work as a director of football, whatever title he's going to have. Everyone was anticipating someone coming from German football, who he, who he knew, someone who he nurtured. All those names were coming up. And in the end, people stopped talking about it because everyone knew in their own way, there'd be no one surprised that he's gone. No one at all. And did anyone see him working with the incoming manager? You have to say no, because I don't think they've really crossed paths. Would he want to work with someone? Would he want to work with him? I would say no, because then he would say he would want um, he'd want his team to come with him. He's director of football for my ex, who, who funny enough, used to play for Manchester United. Yeah. So um, he, that's who he'd want to work with, and he'd mostly thought that would work really well. That's if that's if Edwin wanted to come. Edwin might be quite happy where he is and didn't want to lose that relationship. Yeah. But um, Ranić, I mean, some of the things he said, you think, oh, that's a little bit close home. But it was a lot of what he said, I think, needed to be out there. So a lot of the fans could understand maybe what some of these players are about. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I think I'd have to 
pick and choose some of the things, go through it again to see what was valid. Some of it was a little bit under the bus, but I don't think it was as severe as Mourinho was. Mourinho's mm. was about the severity of it when he said it was worse because the timing was poor as well. Yeah. Um, but I think he said things, and a lot of fan, a lot of United fans would have respect for him in the manner he just come out and said it when players were asking for days off because of, I don't know, you know, their nan wasn't feeling well or something like that, and they wanted days yeah. off. So he was just picking up on the weakness, the mental weakness, and maybe the entitlement of some of the players at Manchester United. And I'm hoping, I'm, which I'm sorry, which I believe was a great thing to happen because it called out quite a few of the players and yeah. it found them out. So I'm waiting to see what happens next. And if the person's going to come in, is he just going to be a coach or is he going to be a manager? I'm hoping he's a latter because that means then he's going to make big decisions on players and he's going to try to say, you're not doing that, you're not doing that. And when the players want to go to their agents and their agents then want to go to the owners, to the um, CEO or whoever, and they're going to turn and say, sorry, it's the manager's decision, which in theory, should, that's how it should be. And, mm. he justify, and then he has to justify it to the people above him. You know, it's called line management. And I don't think Manchester United have had that for a long, long time. I would say they haven't had that since 2013. Is it good or is it nonsense? Not nonsense. Is it a positive thing? that I mean, he brought in Chris Armas, who, regardless of whether or not you believe the reports of the players like having a dig at him and, and wondering who this guy is, he's gone already. So he's just been brought in for six months. This is a coach. Um, there's the... Sasha Lenza, I think, is uh, the sports psychologist. He was in for six months and he's gone. I, what's the point? I, I don't understand what the point is with these appointments, you know, to to have Ragnick have some familiar people around him. None of it makes any sense because you've been sold, especially when you've given away the, the stability of what we had for what it was worth. You were basically admitting that there was no plan and there was no structure in place. And this idea of a short-term structure that you were selling everyone as a long-term philosophy didn't have that long-term philosophy behind it. And you've, in fact, gone back to hire one of the people who were the, one of the two favourites back in November anyway. I don't understand why. It's not like he was guarded by kryptonite, is it? Do you know, yeah, he might not have wanted to leave Ajax, but if you had told him, well, you've only got two weeks to decide on this job, I think he would have probably come to Manchester United and United might have had to pay a little bit more, but if they'd have paid a little bit more in November, maybe it would have had a longer-term benefit rather than this absolute disaster of um, the, the conclusion of the season. I, I really don't understand uh, where we've come from with this. Um, and as expected, a few comments coming in about this, obviously. Um, before, before I do that, Mike Pierre commented about the goals of the season. Ronaldo home and away against Spurs. There was the away goal that we've forgot to mention which was a good one Tellez against Villarreal which was the volley from the free kick which was really good and Ronaldo's late winner against Atalanta away which was um, really good as well where he sort of bounced and he took it on the off volley so yeah definitely some some in there uh, Richard says can't blame Ralph for thinking the club's in disarray I suspect he he does following his withdrawal from United I think he came in to steady the ship the ship that needed steadying he wasn't brought in as a long-term manager we can't judge him as so a so a team taking responsibility, playing well below par, 
and it's a nightmare scenario, as John Shulworth would say. Uh, ben says, maybe we needed this humbling season to reset expectations. The alternative was Conte. That could have kept us treading water rather than the rock bottom we ended up with. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. I mean, Conte's obviously done a decent job at Spurs, and then you look at, would it be a bad thing if he'd have got more out of these players? Is it better that we've seen him exposed in the, in the way that we have done? Um, it's, it's a difficult question to answer with that. Um Ben says he agrees with with you, Paul. He left everything exposed, nowhere to hide for anybody, and that is the refreshing aspect from it. Uh, Ralph did what Ollie wasn't prepared to do. I think that's fair as well, but you can, again, question if it was completely necessary. Patrick says he, he felt um, he would be a, for a while to uh, build a sustainable football setup as per the previous setups. And that conversation is going on with Patrick and Richard in the comment section, so I'll leave them to that. Um, one thing is for sure that uh, Ryan Nick is he's gone. He's going to be concentrating on his, his work in uh, Austria. United are underway in the Tenog era. They're getting in, in that process now. They're already the, the transfer speculation is rumbling. Um, the, the main names that seem to have some proper weight behind them are Timber, Darwin Nunes, um, Pau Torres and Frank, Frankie de Jong. Uh, that's two defenders a midfielder, an attacker, which seems like a sensible approach if United you know, can get all four of those over the line. The big name from all of those is Frankie de Jong. Um, Paul, I wonder what you think about this, because United have been in a situation like this before where they've chased a player who doesn't seem to be warm to the idea of moving to United straight away. However, there are a lot of moving pieces in this one. Like Barcelona obviously got financial problems. Barcelona the director's not Xavi. Xavi wants to keep him, but the directors are the ones pushing the sale because, they, you know, 70 million that comes in for Frankie de Jong, they can get Frank Kessie in from Milan for free. They've got 70 million in the bank, which they desperately need. Um, Ten Hag's trying to push the line of, um, you know, we've worked together with de Jong and trying to make him feel welcome at United. The, the issue being that Xavi still wants him at Barcelona. Um taking De Jong a while to be um, sold on the idea. Obviously, class midfielder, I'm not sure if all of his range of abilities are desperately what we need because, you know, we need a ball winner in there and he's a, definitely a classy ball player alongside. He could be a very good complement for Van der Beek considering that they've played together before. Um, but in terms of the motivation of it, does it does it concern you that he, he's sort of dragging his feet with this, that he doesn't seem to be sold on a move? Well, is it understandable? I, what I'm trying to say is, if we get him, do you have any problems about, or do you have any concerns about what his motivation will be once he's there? Well, I think it's the it's the fact of maybe we can look at it on his side that, I mean, he's never really been accepted by Barca fans. Yeah. And I think maybe he just wants to, or maybe feels that he's ended the season quite well. And he wants to have another t to prove a point, yeah. which I don't think you can knock anyone for. That might be the reason, you know, and to leave Barcelona, he's mostly enjoying it. The lifestyle there as well, playing for that football club makes a big difference rather than coming to live in the northwest of England. That's what might be on his mind as well. And that's not being disrespectful. That's just saying it as it is, yeah. you know, the sunshine of um, Barcelona and the surrounding areas compared to, you know, the city of Manchester and the surrounding areas their surrounding areas. So, and this, if he was, you know, if it was different, if he was coming from a lot lesser team, I would have my, I would have my doubts because it makes sense, but I can see where he's coming from. 
The strength is the manager. The strength is going to bait being there as well. Um, and the other side of it is Moti has got every right to is <laughs> say, well, who are you going to, who else, you know, are you going to guarantee me that you're going to bring in the players to compliment me as well? Yeah. You know, that's the thing. There's no point just getting that one player and don't compliment him with others and he's left with the, the same players around in midfield. Players who have been there in eternity will mostly just go back to, try and go back to normal. If, it, if it's going to be changed, he's got to bring in three or four players into that dressing room who are going to change the culture of that self-entitlement in that dressing room. Has mm. He has to do that. You know, and what it is that those players will be foreseen as snitches because they've come in, especially the likes of De Jong and Van der Beek. Some of the players will change towards him because he knows the manager. Some will want to know more about him for the right yeah. reasons. Others will want to know things about him and throw things in there, little, little small grenades, just to try and to unsettle things because it's not going right for them. So, you know, this is going to be a, to be a test in pre-season. And the proof, the proof will come out in the cooking during that season. People will see what's gone on and we'll see maybe some positive changes for Manchester United. And there will be a few of them that will be so negative that you won't see them again. Yeah, yeah. It says um, Ben says, I don't blame De Jong for being concerned about joining United. It shows he's paying attention. I have no problem with needing to convince a player, though, as long as it's for football, not cash. And yet... Great points, but Paul's exactly right again with the the complementary styles that we've got in there. This is the area, this is the time of um, of United's evolution where there's going to be a lot of turnover in that area. Matic is going to be going, Pogba should be off. Um, you can't rely on Fred and McTominay. There's a lot of talk about Neves as well, Ruben Neves, but he's not a ball winner, he's a ball player. Now, Neves and De Jong, yeah, I, I can see them playing together, but you're still going to need someone to try and get that ball back, um, whether or not that's going to be one of the um, more progressive defenders like a Timber, you don't know, but you would think that you're going to need someone to scurry around in the middle of the park and get the ball back. Um, maybe, I mean, you not, never know the kind of things that are being said to De Jong in, in order to convince him that they're going to promise him the captaincy moving forward or something like that. Is that going to be promised to Ronaldo? Um, De Jong's certainly captain material, but is that enough to convince someone to, to leave Barcelona and join Manchester United? Um, can you sell someone on the idea that you're building the next, hopefully the next generation of a United team, a great team around him? Because I mean, he could certainly be that. He's got the, the attributes to be um, that player. Um, and it'd be better for us to sign him than it would be for us to, for him to come to us. That's for sure, because his prospects are so high. Um, but this is one of those situations that we should be able to take advantage of with Barcelona being in the, the problem that they're in at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think it, I don't have massive reservations about the motivation as long as we get him over the line because I think professional players are professionals and if we sign him, there's a, a sort of an admission at the age that he is, like 24, 25, that he'll be spending his peak years at United even if he, he sees another move somewhere else in the future they'll be that's going to be the motivation for the next three or four years and that's what United need to be looking towards. Um but this speculation is going to be rumbling on all season, all preseason for sure. Um and we will be back at some point over the, the preseason to go over it. Just wanted to make sure that we had a season review in the bank here. Um so if you've enjoyed the podcast please give it a like and subscribe on the on the YouTube and if you've listened back to it on the audio please um give it a nice review 
and subscribe on the platform you're listening on. Paul said earlier, as we say goodbye, Paul said earlier that it can't be any worse next season. So he is a cheery note to end the podcast on. Just because it was as bad as we've seen doesn't mean it's as bad as it can get. So, um, yeah, that's a foreboding word for for the 22-23 season. But thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, guys. And we'll be back soon with um, a podcast over the summer to go over um, the transfers that may or may not be happening. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.